Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Jesus starts his most famous sermon, the the Sermon on the Mount, with eight statements that we call the Beatitudes. And we've been studying one Beatitude each week as as we looked at how these these challenging declarations can help us to be more like Jesus. This week we come to the seventh of those Beatitudes. If you take your life notes and look at this with me, I'd like for us to read this Beatitude together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, each of these statements in the Beatitudes is associated with a promise. In this particular Beatitude, the peacemakers shall be called the children of God. That's the promise. Blessed are the peacemakers. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It's in your life notes as well. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who work for peace. Circle that word work in your notes there. God blesses those who work for peace. You've got to work for peace. You see, peace doesn't just happen. Peace is not the result of inaction. It's not waiting on happenstance. It's not a, peace is not a passive calling. Peace is an active calling. We don't just hope for peace. We don't just wish for peace. We don't even just pray for peace. We make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Now, when it comes to peace, one thing I know well is that most of us, if not all of us, desire peace in our hearts and in our homes. But when it comes to defining peace, I think there are some misconceptions when it comes to the kind of peace and peacemaking that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. So before we talk about what peacemaking is and the how-to about peacemaking, I want to clear up just what peace and peacemaking is not. The first is peace is not the absence of war. Peace is not the absence of war. Think about it. You might not be in an active war with somebody in your life, But that doesn't mean that you're going to have peace in your heart or in your home. We may not be in an active war with another country, with another nation, but that doesn't guarantee peace within the United States or or Canada or within any country. The absence of war is not a guarantee of peace in your heart or in your home or even in a country. A COVID vaccine is not going to guarantee you peace in your heart or your home. Seeing your chosen individual elected to the presidency is not going to guarantee you peace in your heart or your home. Only God, only God can guarantee you peace. The kind of peace that that Jesus is talking about here, the blessedness that he's talking about here, this, this kind of peace that we deeply and desperately desire. Secondly, peace is not the absence of work. 
Some people think it is. They, they look forward to it and they live their whole life just thinking, boy, I can't wait until the day that I retire and I can just kick back and, and take it easy. I can sit in my recliner, I can, I can watch TV, I can, I can play golf or horseshoes or, or pickleball and, and not work another day in my life. No more work, and then I'm, there's going to be peace in my heart and in my home. You know, that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. It's not the absence of war, it's not the absence of work. Peacemaking isn't passive, it's active. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. He doesn't say, blessed are the peaceable. He doesn't say, blessed are those who desire peace. No, Jesus says, blessed are those who get out and make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's active. You don't wait for peace to come along. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are about the business of making peace. Thirdly, peace is not appeasement at any cost. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that, that you're always giving, giving in. It doesn't mean that you're a pacifist. It doesn't mean that you're a milk toast kind of guy. It doesn't mean that you're a pushover. It doesn't mean that you compromise your values for the sake of peace. If you're being pressured to, to compromise your purity or your, or your values for the sake of peace, that's not what peacemaking is all about. We're never been given any mandate from Christ to conform for the sake of peace. No, instead, he tells us, do not conform. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You realize Jesus was not a conformist. He was no pushover. He didn't go along to get along. He was quite the controversial figure. He was, he was really good at making even church people angry and upset. He had no issue standing his ground. He told the truth, even though he knew that the truth that he was telling would ultimately get him crucified. He didn't withhold the truth because it wasn't what the people wanted to hear. They would rather have avoided the things that he was saying to them. But he told them not what they wanted to hear, told them what they needed to hear. Peacemaking is not appeasement. Fourthly, peacemaking is not avoidance at any cost. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that you, that you run from hard issues or, or situations. It doesn't mean that you avoid conflict. When you avoid conflict, that doesn't make you a peacemaker. It actually makes you a troublemaker if you avoid conflict. Why? Because if I just sweep trouble under the rug and I sweep more trouble under the rug and I sweep more trouble under the rug, what happens? All of a sudden, there's a lump in the rug, and that's not a good thing because sooner or later, someone's going to trip over that lump. It's going to cause some hurt to someone. At some point, somebody's going to have to deal with the lump in the rug. It doesn't make you a peacemaker when you just run from hard conversations because you allow conflict to remain unresolved. That's actually, when you get really get down to it, that's, that's really cowardice. And I say that in all love and, and charity. It's cowardice when all you do is just run the other way and you don't want to ruffle any feathers. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And yes, the scripture tells us you speak the truth what? In love. There's a lot of people that want to go around spreading truth, but they don't do it in love. So speak the truth in love. But Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's why I think one of the cruelest people on the planet is a person who knows the truth but refuses to share the truth for the sake of appeasement. Maybe because they're afraid or, or maybe because it makes them uncomfortable dealing with the subject or dealing with the things that had happened. What we need to understand about peacemaking 
is not only is it a high calling, but it is divine work. Peacemaking is God's work and ours. John Stott says in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, peacemaking is divine work. For peace means reconciliation, and God is the author of peace and reconciliation. Indeed, the very same verb which is used in this beatitude of us is applied by the Apostle Paul to what God has done through Christ. He continues, through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, you and me making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, the kind of peace that was purchased through Christ, it wasn't a passive peace. It cost him his life. It was costly. He had to come down to make peace. Stott continues saying, it's hardly surprising then that the particular blessing that is attached to being a peacemaker is that they shall be called sons and daughters of God, for they are seeking to do what their father has already done, loving people with the love of God. He also noted this, that the sequence of thought from purity of heart, which was the beatitude that we studied last week, to this one, blessed are the peacemakers, is a natural sequence because one of the most frequent causes of conflict is intrigue. Now, I want you to think about it. If you heard last week's message, and, and if you did, you can go back and listen to the podcast. But if you heard last week's message, you know that one of the ideas of being pure in heart I talked about is that you're the same person on the outside as you are on the inside. And vice versa, the inside is the same as the outside. You've got nothing to hide. You're, you're transparent with God and you're transparent with people. There's no misunderstanding. And yet, how much of our conflict is caused by misunderstanding? How much of our conflict is caused by intrigue? That which we refuse to acknowledge, that which we, we cover up and, and we hide, that which we don't bring out into the light. A lot of conflict is is started by the words that we speak. But what about the words that we refuse to speak? The actions we refuse to take? Is that not the source or, or the root of so much conflict in the world today? The world, would you agree, is ripe with conflict? I want to share with you some steps to making peace with others, but first I want to give you some reasons why peacemaking matters. Why, why it matters for you and me who are called by Christ's name to be peacemakers. Why we're, we're called to make peace and not just avoid conflict, not just sweep things under the rug. Why we're called to address offense and to make peace rather than avoid the hard conversations, the, the difficult moments of life. Those who've hurt you deeply, those who've offended you severely, those who have betrayed your trust. The Bible says, as far as it depends upon you, not them, not everybody's peaceable in case you haven't noticed, but as far as it depends upon you, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Here's number one reason. It's in your life notes. Why peacemaking matters. It matters because unresolved conflict will hinder your or my personal relationship with God. Unresolved conflict will hinder our personal relationship with God. When we allow conflict to remain unresolved, it can literally drive a wedge between you and your Heavenly Father. Now, why would anybody do that? I don't know, but we do it all the time. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, he said, But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Jesus was basically giving us a principle that we need to keep short accounts. If we got something going on between us and another person, we need to deal with it or it's going to interfere with our relationship with God. 
This doesn't mean that we're going to lose our salvation. That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about relationships. We want to have a clear relationship with God. How many of you would, would agree that this is a pretty good reason why we should all be about making peace? In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, it says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. And what I found as it relates to unresolved conflict is that unresolved conflict makes it hard for me to love somebody. You found that? When you've got unresolved conflict, it makes it hard for you to love that person. When I've been wounded, when I've been offended, if somebody's hurt me and that thing is left unresolved, it's almost impossible to love that person. Why? Because the conversation that I continually have in my head, I, I think you all know what I'm talking about here, that conversation in my head is always demonizing the other person. It's demonizing the person who offended me. And it's always backing me up and my perspective up, no matter how messed up my thinking might be. So the longer that, that we allow conflict to remain unresolved, that conversation in our heads starts to take over, and you continue to tear down the person who sinned against you and to, to bolster your own defense. If you don't forgive others, it will interfere with your relationship with God. Number two reason, unresolved conflict will hinder your prayer life, and I'll also say it'll hinder your worship. It'll hinder your prayers. And I almost hate to use this first, and I risk offending about half the people here. You'll see why in a second. But um, God said it. It's in Scripture. As a man, and as, particularly as a husband, this is a straight call out to husbands here in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you're a husband right now and you don't want to hear truth, just plug your ears because you're going to be held accountable. Because once you've heard this, or, or even once you preach it, then it's a hard verse, you know, because it's true. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If you've got a problem with this, I'm sorry. You don't got a problem with me. You've got a problem with God. It's God's word. It says here that, that, that husbands, if you don't treat your wife right, forget about praying. Because here's the deal, it's going to hinder your prayers, it's going to hinder your talking with God. It'll also hinder your worship. I wrote this in your notes there, reconciliation is a prerequisite for worship. Circle that word reconciliation. Reconciliation is a prerequisite for worship. Well, where do you get that from, Walt? Well, later in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, I'm pretty sure what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5 is that your heavenly Father would prefer that you first be reconciled to the person that you have an offense with before you make an offering to him. That's how much it matters to God that we live at peace on this planet, that we live at peace with one another. We've got to have peace with one another in order to experience peace with God, in order to worship God. And that sounds, again, like a pretty good reason for peacemaking to me. Number three, unresolved conflict is going to hurt you more than anybody. It's going to hurt you. Resentment, unforgiveness, unresolved conflict that you allow to fester, it's a, it's a form of self-harm. Holding on to resentment is dumb. 
Okay, yeah, I caught my kids not to call people dumb, but it's dumb. Holding on to resentment is a dumb thing to do. Why? Because it monopolizes your attention. It consumes your thought life. It gives control of your heart and your mind and your emotions to the person who's already hurt you once. And why would we do that? But we do. What we need to do is to forgive them and let them go. You see, we think forgiveness means cutting them loose. What we don't understand about forgiveness is it's not cutting them loose. It's letting God deal with them, giving the offense to God. It's cutting yourself free from them. It's actually cutting yourself loose from the bondage of resentment and unforgiveness. Forgiving them is saying, hey, I don't need to be attached to you like this anymore. You can still be attached to them, but you don't have to be attached to them in a way that, that monopolizes your, your life and your thoughts. I don't need to be bearing the weight of this unforgiveness and this resentment. I don't need to continually to drink this poison that, that is literally ruining my life. I want to be free from this weight of unforgiveness. I don't want my relationship with God to be hindered. I, I want to know that my prayers are being answered. I don't want to hurt myself anymore. That's why in Romans chapter 12, it says, I started to read it to you earlier, but this is the rest of the verse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Circle those words there, depends on you. As far as it depends on you. Now, it's not always possible, okay? Some people just aren't willing to make peace. Some people aren't willing to be peaceable. But as far as it depends upon you, God says, you live at peace with everyone. You make peace, not for them, but for you. Now, let me get to these steps that I want to give you for making peace with others. Whoever has, has hurt you, whoever's offended you, whoever's betrayed you, whoever has wounded you deeply, whoever's let you down, whoever's lied about you, whoever has slandered you, whatever it is, you know, how can I be a peacemaker with others? And let me tell you, as I've been preaching through this series during the last seven weeks, it's challenged me. And there's been some people that I've had to sit down with and, and talk with them and listen to them and all people that, that I knew weren't at peace with me. And as you hear this, it's probably going to happen with you as well. Pay attention. Pay attention to that still, small voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe, the, maybe he's yelling at you. I don't know. You know. Pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit about what you need to do and who, where you need to apply these steps in your life. The first one, the first step to being at peace with others is this. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. Don't wait for the other person. Jesus is saying, if you want to be like me, don't wait for somebody else to make peace with you. As far as it depends on you, you be the peacemaker. You make the peace. You take the initiative. You take the first step. Don't wait for anybody else. Why? Because when you were the one who was the offender, Jesus took the first step for you. When I was the offending party and I offended God with my sin, he didn't wait for me. Romans 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we need to take the first step. When it comes to being a peacemaker, we take the initiative. But we should also, it tells us in, in James, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Anybody else here struggle with that? Anybody here naturally, just naturally listen? No. Usually we want to speak. We want to be heard. We want to get our point of view out there. We all need this, every single one of us. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. You know, did you know that most conflict 
is rooted in misunderstanding or some sort of miscommunication. It's even easier to be misunderstood or miscommunicated today in the, in the, in the time of iPhones and, and Twitter and text messages. And most conflict, you know, interpersonal conflict starts with some form of misunderstanding or miscommunication. You, don't, you just don't understand me or, well, I didn't mean to, or, but you took it the wrong way. You know, I'm usually a, a pretty quick adapter of technology, but I drug my feet on texting, okay? People that are close to me know that I'd rather talk to you face-to-face than on the phone. And texting, that's like six steps removed from even talking on the phone. So I was pretty slow in adopting texting. My, now, my wife and my daughters, you know, they were pretty quick at getting on that texting thing and stuff. And I used to look at the, at the bill, you know, the, the phone bill, you know, 20, 20 years ago, and I could look at it and say, wow, you know, I had like, you know, you know, 10 texts in a month, and, and Lou or my daughters, you know, they had like 1,500 texts in a month. I'm like, how could you text that many texts in a month? I don't know. My general rule is if you're, if you're going to send three texts, make a phone call. It's worth a phone call. But anyway, back to the story at hand here. About 15 years ago, I was at work. I forget. I can't remember what I was doing. You know, my wife probably remembers, but I don't remember what I, what I'm, what I was doing. But Lou took our youngest daughter, Amanda, to the doctor. And so they were at the doctor, and they found out that Amanda had appendicitis, and she needed to go straight, and she needed to have surgery that day. And so Lou tried to call me, and for whatever reason, I didn't answer my phone. And so she sent a text message, and she said, can you meet us at the hospital? And I like to be brief. You may not think so, my messages, but I like to be brief. And so I sent, I figured, okay, I'm going to do this text thing here. And so... Why send three characters when you can send one character? And so I sent a Y. To me, that meant yes. But to my wife, it means why? Why are you, why are you questioning me? Why can't you get to the hospital? And so all of a sudden, I'm in the doghouse. You know, I'm trying to adopt this texting thing. And it, it created a misunderstanding. I had to ask her last night. I didn't even remember what it was over. I had to ask her last night, remember that thing with the why? What was that about? And she remembers the whole story better than I do. You know, wives do that, OK? If we could just have a conversation and, and live out Matthew 18, where it says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. When it comes to offense, if we could simply have the conversation, listen more than we speak, I'm convinced that so much of the content that we, that we allow to fester and linger in our lives would be resolved. Because when we work his word, his word always works, and his word works in us. The third step, be agreeable. Be agreeable, even when you disagree. Now, this is something that people don't know how to do in today's world. Can we be honest? People don't know how to be agreeable in the midst of disagreement. We have lost the art of civil discourse. And some of us need to pay attention and listen closely because we've drunk the Kool-Aid and we think that everybody who votes for the other side of us is either a deplorable white supremacist, a racist, a bigot, or we think on the other side they're an anti-American godless baby killer. That's what the media is telling us. We let the extremes and we let the lamestream media tell us that we can't have a civil conversation, that we can't be friends, and God forbid we should worship along someone that believes politically differently than we do. Can I tell you, not everybody who voted for Joe Biden hates America. Not everybody who voted for Donald Trump is a racist. We need to reject the narratives that divide us and that tell us that the lie is the truth. 
We're more discerning than that. We need to re reject that. Most people who vote Republican tend to believe the Republican Party platform will best serve everybody in America, red, yellow, black, white, brown. And those who vote the Democrat platform may disagree, but they believe that the Democrat platform will best serve everybody in America, red, yellow, black, white, and brown. The world doesn't know how to be agreeable and disagree. And that's why tolerance doesn't mean to tolerate anymore. It means to conform to whatever happens to be the loudest, the most violent, or the most vicious crowd, or to bend your conviction to do whatever the prevailing conviction of society tends to be at the moment. That's not what tolerance means, folks. We can love people that we disagree with. Jesus, in fact, we are commanded to love people that we disagree with. We can love people who vote differently than we do. We don't have to compromise our values. Jesus never compromised. And that's why he's not saying, blessed are the pushovers and blessed are those who compromise and blessed are those who conform and blessed are those who lay down their convictions because your convictions no longer remain the mainstream convictions. They're not shared by everybody. No, Jesus says. He says, hold on to your conviction. Don't conform, but at the same time, be a peacemaker. Make peace. Blessed are those who make peace, those who love people that disagree with you because God first loved you. And when we lived the life that disagreed with God, he demonstrated his love for us by laying down his life for us. Number four, control your tongue. Or I could also say you know, in 2020, you know, control your tongue, control your Twitter, control your fingers on your phone, on your, on your Facebook, and all that other stuff, Instagram, whatever you, you, you take on your social media. Now, maybe stepping on some toes here. I recognize that, but I'm preaching first off to myself. You got to remember that. I'm preaching to me as well as I'm preaching to you. Listen to what it says. It's a pretty lengthy scripture passage, but I want to read you quite a few verses here from James chapter 3. It says in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Think about that. With our tongue, we praise our Heavenly Father, but at the same time, we curse men who are made in the likeness, in the image of God. He continues, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And I'm not talking about the, the, the few words that we call curse words. You know, Jesus says if you call someone a fool, you know, you're in danger of, of being in trouble with him there. My brothers, this should not be, James says. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Basically, the presumption should be that God's people should be wise and understanding. God makes his wisdom available to us. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So wisdom should lead us to be humble. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's of the devil. I mean, he calls it out here. He said, when you act like this, when you talk like this, it's of the devil, it's of Satan. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder in every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven. 
He's making a contrast here to the worldly wisdom, to the wisdom of the way that, that we act when we listen to the worldly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I invite you sometime this week, go to that, go to that passage in James chapter 3 and think about the world around you. Think about what you see. Think about what you hear on, on TV or in social media, but also think about what you have in your own life. Is your life peace-loving? Is it considerate? Is it submissive? Is it full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere? If so, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. So what are you sowing? What are you sowing with your tongue? What are you sowing with your fingers as you punch the little you know, alphabet thing on your phone or on your, on your computer? Are you sowing seeds of discord and, and division and slander and indifference? Are you sowing into the devil's system? I mean, that's what James calls it, the devil's system of, of hatred and anger and rage. Then don't be surprised with what you reap if that's what you're sowing. Are you more concerned with, with legislating policy than you are with loving people? If so, you're going to have a tough time looking like Jesus. Can we all agree that the issue with the world today is we don't have a people issue? No, we don't have a people issue. What we have is we have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. And if we could just learn to attack the problem, not the person, it would take us a long, long way towards peace in our hearts and in our homes. What we need is to ask God to heal this land. And I'm including our brothers and sisters in the north and Canada, okay? We need to ask God to heal this land, to seek God with a posture, first off, of personal repentance, not pointing fingers at problem people, because we are all problem people. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We're all prone to fall. We're all prone to fail, to sin at any given time on, on any even given day. Therefore, given our weakness and our propensity to sin, can we, instead of condemning those with whom we disagree, can we choose to extend a hand of grace, a hand of mercy, a hand of love, the same way that God did that for you and for me? Now, some of you may be thinking, no, and I understand. I get it. You may think there's no way I can love a person who votes fill in the blank, Republican, Democrat, I don't care which. There's no way I can love a person who, who votes that way. Not this year. I can't love a person who, who doesn't affirm my personal freedom and my lifestyle. You know, I can't love a person who, who disagrees with me. I understand if this is a struggle for you because you can't give what you don't have. If I can close it with the last few thoughts here, it would be this. You will never be a peacemaker, nor will you ever be at peace if you don't, first of all, have peace with God. You see, the life that Jesus is calling us to, blessed are the peacemakers, I can't be a peacemaker if I don't know the peacemaker. If you don't have the peace of God yourself, how are you going to extend the peace of God, the grace, the mercy, the love to other people? then if you really want to be a peacemaker, the best way to practice being a peacemaker is not to beat other people up with what you see as their sins. The best way to, to be a, practice being a peacemaker is to introduce others to the peacemaker. Give them the same grace, extend them the same mercy, extend them to them the same love that God gave you. 
The last time I checked, I don't know a single person in the world that was perfect and then they became a Christian. I've yet to find one. Now, I've seen a few Christians that think they're perfect, okay? And I'll be honest, they're not very fun people to be around as far as I'm concerned. Sorry. If you took offense to that, we need to talk. Okay, but we need to, invite, we need to introduce people to the peacemaker, and his name is Jesus. What the world needs more than anything today, whether you're in the United States, you're in Canada, you're in Indonesia, no matter where you are, what the world needs more today is Jesus. And so the question I leave with you to ponder this week is, will you, will you be a peacemaker? As far as it depends upon you, let it go. Take the first step, reach out and make peace. Amen. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.